Okay, Mark, Mark chapter 11. And uh, kids, just a reminder, fill out your fill in the blanks. Uh, and, and then come up afterwards and show it to me. I might ask you a question or two about the sermon, and you will get a, a treat. So um, as, as, we, as, we move, as we move on, um, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but anytime something that is, oh, I guess we would say popular or, or valuable comes out on the market, it's not uncommon for there to be a counterfeit that would follow, a copy of that that would, would follow. And so I kind of went through, went through here and made a copy of some, oh, that's Jane and Andy. That's not a counterfeit. That was another announcement that I forgot. It's Andy's 75th birthday, and they have a studio warming party next Sunday after church. You should see that in your bulletin. I hope you're all invited. It's in the bulletin, so I'm just going to invite all y'alls from 1 to 5. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, 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 1 to 5 next Sunday. Address is in there. Please please come and enjoy. I thought it's a cute play on words. Their last name is Pool. I was going to say it's a pool party. Ah, they probably never heard that before, right? Anyway, so, <laughs> so now, now to the sermon. All right, uh, signs of a, a counterfeit faith. Whenever something popular comes on the market, there's something that would go ahead and copy it. So here's just some things that have been confiscated from uh, U.S. Border Patrol. Those are some Nike. <laughs> Sandals, if you notice, that's spelled wrong. Um, copy, counterfeit. Here's Adidos. Adidos. Uh, another one here is, if you see, there's four batteries. The second one from the top, it goes Panasonic, Pane Samig. Panasonic, Panasonic. So batteries. I like this one, Snooby. Snooby, Snobby, Snooby. Um, and then my, my personal favorite is Genuine fake watches sold here. If you want to buy yourself a genuinely fake watch, that is the place that you would would go. But um, uh, counterfeits, there's always counterfeits that come along. And I remember as a 10th grader, this is his early member of a counterfeit, um, someone with a counterfeit faith that I came into contact with. I, at the time, I didn't have my license yet. I was still riding the bus from Evergreen High School. And we had this guy, I forget his name, but he was the bully. He was the classic bully. And this is before bullying was a bad thing or bullying was in, you know, on the news. There were just bullies. And, and uh, he was the bully on the bus. And I remember him um, always picking on people and everybody would just kind of avoid him. And, and then we, um, I noticed it was about a month after one bullying event, we had our youth group would do these things. They're called sing things. And once a month, every Sunday night, all the youth groups in the area would get together just for a night of worship and prayer. And I remember showing up at this sing thing at this one particular church. And there in the front row was my bully. And he wasn't like that he was drugged there. He was there participating in the worship and prayer night. And I just remember as a 10th grade guy looking at him, and I, met, I literally walked up to him, and I, like, I had to look at him like, are you really you? I mean, and he saw me, I saw him, and he, his eyes shrunk. And, um, and then I punched him in the nose. No, I didn't. <laughs> Not really. No, um, he actually, though, was, wasn't a bully after that. But I remember thinking, man, how, how sickening that is. And I think we probably all have had experiences with people that say they would have a faith in Christ, and yet when, when we see them in different areas, the, the, the absence of that faith is, is made evident through the rest of, of their day and the rest of their life. And so 
So today, as we look at this passage, we see Jesus, and, and Jesus um, has come to this monumental moment in the life of his ministry. I mean, we've spent 40, 43 weeks so far leading up to this final week, what is called the Passion Week of, of Jesus, the final week of his, of his life. And, and this is really what everything has been building up to. And last, two weeks ago, we looked at the first 11 verses, what is normally called the Triumphal Entry or Palm Sunday Message or the Hosanna Sunday Message, where Jesus comes in and on the, on the side of the road... You saw all these people that were waving palms and throwing their cloaks on the road to pave the way for Jesus. Save now, save now, calling him the Messiah, the ruler, the king. Um, he, he went on that Sunday evening, he went in, it says he went into to Jerusalem and he kind of did a quick look about and then he returned and he went back to Bethany for a night's sleep. And then comes verse 12, which is where we're picking things up today. Verse 12, it says this. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, no one is, no, may no one ever eat from fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Fig trees, there's a picture of a fig tree. Fig trees are really common, um, common in Bible times, very common in Scripture, referred to over 60 different times in relation to something we'll talk about in just a moment. The, the, the fig tree grows really big and broad, um, but low to the ground. I think God designed it that way so people could come along and easily take and pluck of its fruit. Um, and there were some unique things about fig trees, they would oftentimes produce three full harvests in one one year, which made them pretty unique. But what's more interesting about this story of the fig tree is that in this case, this is the only time in all of the gospel accounts that we have records of Jesus giving a miracle. Does he do a miracle of destruction or a miracle of wrath? A miracle, instead of bringing healing, instead of bringing something to life, he instead brings destruction and a curse upon this fig tree. And the reason he does it is the key to kind of our, our passage today. The fig tree symbolizes something. It symbolizes the nation Israel. Israel was fruitless, just like the fig tree here was fruitless. You see, Jesus walked up to the tree. It was full of foliage, and yet there was no fruit on it at all. And this portrayed exactly what Jesus saw when he went into Jerusalem. They had all the signs of spiritual life, but they had no fruit, no spiritual fruit. They were keeping the law. They were being very religious. They, they observed the traditions of their religion, but they had no spiritual fruit. And the leaves that covered them really were just leaves that were covering their spiritual nakedness. And so it kind of leads to this first sign as we look at some counterfeit signs of faith. What's a counterfeit sign? The first one is it's fruitlessness. Uh, that's a, a sign of a counterfeit faith is fruitlessness. When, when we've committed ourselves to Christ, when we've committed ourselves to him, really we live at that point to please him. We live at that point to please him, and, and the, the reflection of our life, not perfectly, but over time, the reflection of our life begins to, we produce the things in which are fruitful, 
fruitful things that he would produce. Um, and Jesus says that, you know, when, when someone looks at one of his followers, they, they see something different um, than they see from those who aren't his followers. Matthew 7, 16 through 20 says, Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Israel, up until this point, they have had every single advantage by God. They've received God's personal attention. They have been planted in a good land. They have the word of God. They've had the prophets of God. They have the temple of God. They have everything that they possibly needed to to be fruitful, to have a bumper crop of fruitfulness, uh, and yet they remain fruitfulness, primarily because they didn't recognize what the scriptures that have been pointing to, which was Jesus, uh, up until this point. If if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15 and talk a little bit here about what is this whole fruitfulness or fruitlessness concept. I don't have this on the screen on purpose, so if you could turn to John 15, that'd be great. John 15, verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, Jesus talking, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus here tells us what we must do in order to bear fruit. If we want our, our lives to be fruitful rather than fruitless, like what we're seeing in the example or the analogy of this fig tree in the, in the nation Israel, he tells us what to do. Verses 4 and 5 of John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So a branch here, a branch must stay firmly attached to a trunk in order for that branch to stay alive. And as, as followers, as disciples of, of Jesus, we must stay firmly connected to the vine if we are going to be spiritually fruitful, spiritually productive. Because a branch, it draws its strength, it draws its energy, its vitality, its nutrients from the vine if it gets separated from that vine it quickly dries up it quickly dies and and so really what this comes down to for each one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus or if you're young here and you you say you know what does it mean to be a Christian there's lots of people that call themselves Christians what does it what does it really mean to follow Christ to be a Christian according to what Jesus said a Christian is Uh, that's what it means it means to not neglect our spiritual Life to not ignore uh, the Bible in our lives, to ignore God's word, to not to skimp out on our time of conversation with God through prayer. Uh, it, it means to not withhold per- certain areas of our life from the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit in pointing out and illuminating um, to shine a light on or a flashlight onto the inward parts of our heart. When we don't allow that to happen, then we become fruitless. So it really comes down to 
this abiding concept comes down to a daily surrendering to to God. And what does that look like? We see it here. There's a number of scriptures. Daily surrender. What is daily surrender? Um, daily surrender is to walk in the spirit and yet not be fulfilled with the lusts of the flesh, as Galatians says. It means staying intimately connected to the true vine. It's the only way to bear fruit in old age. As I age, I, I take great comfort in that, that it doesn't matter that I can't keep up with my kids in their calisthenic and exercises anymore. I need to stay close to the vine and bear fruit in my, in my older age. Um, to run and to not grow weary, as Isaiah says. I know a lot of people that are running, but they're very weary. When we find ourselves in a weary place, it's a pretty good indicator that that, that, that vine and that branch, there might need to be some tethering to take place in that relationship. Um, and then to not grow weary in doing good things. I've seen this happen in my own life. I've shared the story many times. I'm not going to share it now. But you can grow weary in doing good things if you're not staying connected to, to the vine. So fruitlessness. That's one of the signs or indicators of a counterfeit faith. The second thing that to be noticed here, the second thing, if you're taking notes, jammers, the second thing to be noted here uh, is that a counterfeit faith can be seen when there is the presence of hypocrisy. The presence of hypocrisy. So we'll talk about what hypocrisy is in just a minute. But when, when, when you've got a tree and you've got all of these, these leaves and this foliage over the tree, what is that doing? It's in, in essence, it's acting as a mask, showing that it's, it's giving the impression that there's something valuable, but in, in reality, there's no fruit that's present there. And, and when, when, when God looks upon our lives, does he see the fruit in our lives? <clears throat> does he see us engaged with him, abiding in him, serving with a pure heart, casting all of our cares upon him, walking with him day in and day out? Or does he see us, like the nation Israel, just kind of going through the motions, going through the motions day in and day out, rather than staying connected to him? And, and really, this is the thing that you see. This is what... If you want to say that what made Jesus angry, what makes God wrathful, it's when people are religious without a heart connection. They, they fall into a legalistic religion where there's, there's the right behavior with the wrong heart attitude. And that happens a lot of times. We think if we just do the right behavior, but we're not doing it out of a pure heart that is soft and tender towards the Lord, that's when hypocrisy can take place. That's when a hypocrite, the outside matters. It's what's on the outside. If I appear religious, if I appear like everything is okay, then, then things are okay, and, and God's going to be okay with me. Um, but that's intentionally not what the Lord's about. So we see Jesus oftentimes, and you know these passages, but says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and you're full of, of wickedness. Matthew 6, 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men and women to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your heavenly Father. So now back to our story here. After, after speaking to the, the tree... Uh, or in, in cursing the tree, Jesus walks up to his disciples in the temple uh, in Jerusalem. And this is what he finds. And, 
And this is where he really attacks a counterfeit faith. Read with me in, in verse 15 through 7. He says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. So just like the fig tree has um, a symbolic um, and importance in this story, it's the same thing with the temple. And what we maybe don't understand in our culture today, but the temple in Jewish culture was everything. It was the heartbeat of their entire world, their religion. It was the heartbeat of their, their social, political structure. It was their, their heartbeat. And so Jesus is coming in and he's seeing that there's some things that are not right here, pretty hypocritical here about this. The, the, the temple was huge, 15, 1,500 feet long, 1,200 feet wide. The outer courts of the temple, the outer courts of the temple were about 15 football fields in, in size. And, and this place on the outside had become a, a virtually a shopping mall. There are pens of sheep and goats and doves and sacrificial animals. They're all over the place. Now, there's money changers also that, that operated uh, other tables. And in, in one sense, these money changers and these merchants that were there, in and of themselves, there wasn't anything necessarily wrong because it was required of the people to come and to make sacrifices to the Lord, especially this season of Passover. That was, that was a normal requirement. But the unfortunate thing here and what Jesus saw was the corruption uh, that was taking place and the advantage that was being taken place of, of, of people. And this is an ugly side of this enterprise. So, so G- Jesus said that they had turned this house of prayer into a den of thieves. Now, this is kind of how it works. Basically, the local priests and the politicians, they would, they would, be, they would maintain strict control over the temple business and they would get kickbacks the temple priests and politicians would get kickbacks on the sale of the sacrificial animals so there were all of these extra prices that got bumped the merchants would bump up the prices so that they could pay off the religious people and the politicians well the the sick thing about all of this is is what would happen is if, if people and this happens a lot of times when people like go to the movies today instead of paying a lot of money for candy at the movie theater, they might go to the dollar store and buy candy. I'm just hypothetically. Go to the dollar store, buy candy, and take it to their movie. Um, That's what a lot of these folks would do. They would bring their own animals or they would bring their own, um, or they would buy something outside of the temple because it was reasonably priced, not exorbitant usury charges, and they would bring it in. Well, when they take these animals into the temple to be sacrificed for the Lord, before the Lord, to atone for their sin, the priests would reject those animals, if they didn't have the, the markings of one that was sold in the market. So then these people wouldn't be able to use their sacrifices for the Lord. They would have to go out and get a suitable sacrifice for the Lord and then pay money out the nose, and then that money would go back to the priests and the politicians. It was just a very corrupt and ugly system. And so Jesus comes in and he sees this going on, and obviously it makes him very angry. And, and so he... he purges the temple for the second time. The other time is in the early chapters of of, of John. Um, But God had intended his temple to be a house of prayer, uh, a place place of worship. 
And on, on one side there was worship taking place, but on the other side of the wall there was this great deal of corruption that was taking place. And so that leads to the third thing here, the, the third sign of a counterfeit faith, and that is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. Uh, we're going to read the passage that goes with this when we go into our communion time. But God intended this temple to be a house of prayer. And if you notice in your text, a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. That's what his intent was. But unfortunately, what was happening at this point in time is that it was being used for other things. And so the Jews, they would come and they could come and worship. But if you were a Gentile, you had to do your worship outside the temple courts where all of the corruption was taking place. So therefore, no one was interested in coming to the church to worship because they knew of and had experienced all of the corruption. So, so really, it was, it was a mess that was going on at this place. And that's not the intent, that's not the desire that God had for his, his people, his church. It was to be a house of prayer for all nations and all people. Now, within, within us, with, within our own bodies, our own lives, today we know we're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we come together, it's, it's like there's many temples coming together to worship God together. That's why worship times are so valuable. It's not about the building, it's about the people. That's the cliche, and it's very true that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we go out from this place, that's where church really happens because that's where we take the, the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in us and we shower that love and affection upon the people that we live with, the people that we work with, the people that we share a fence with. We're, as a church, I say it every week very intentionally, our whole purpose as a church is to reach with the gospel, those that are near to us but far from Christ. Every single one of us has that responsibility to, to take the good news of Christ out to our workplace. With that comes great, great things. It's not easy to do that, but it comes great, great things. And it can't be done um, if there's a life that's not prayerful, prayerlessness that's like taking place here. So I've just got a few, a few indicators or requirements that we see in Scripture for a successful prayer life. You want a successful prayer life? Here are just some things. It's not so much about what you say. It's about the condition of your heart, having a humble heart. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, they will seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. It's a prerequisite to an effective prayer, having a humble heart. Also being wholehearted. You'll seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Whole heart versus your half heart. Having a... Having a faith in your prayers. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's from our passage here in verse 24. Righteousness. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. James 5.16. One, one of the more critical reasons why we're doing growth groups, this kind of, this kind of thing doesn't take place on a Sunday morning in a service. It requires a, a smaller gathering of, of people. And then obedience. Obedience. Uh, we will receive whatever we request because we obey him and do the things that please him. 1 John 3.22. Um, we're going to transition into, into communion now, but this is um, at the point where I would normally give the application. The application is very clear today. It is to, to be intentionally involved in other people's lives like through a growth group. Maybe you already have growth group-like people in your life, whether it be through a women's group or a Bible study, that's great. But if you don't have 
people that are pouring into you or people that you're pouring into spiritually, then you need that community. That's why we're doing these growth groups. So I just want to challenge you to, to, to ask the Lord if that is something that you need in your life. And um, now I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and, uh, and the worship team as we will we'll close out in communion.